Thank you, Brother Doug. Thank you, musicians. Please turn in your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Also want to mention to Brother Tucker and, and to Brother Lewis Clark, thank you very much for filling the pulpit last Sunday and being a blessing to the assembly. I appreciate you faithful men who love the Lord and are so dependable and faithful. Thank you so much. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. I want you to look with me in verse number 1. Last few Sundays, I have preached on the subject of issues of ignorance. And there are certain things that are mentioned in the Bible that the Holy Spirit was very, very concerned about concerning our ignorance and how it impacts our lives. And when I say ignorance, I don't refer to you as being someone who lacks, uh, uh, what can I say, common sense and uh, some knowledge. Uh, what I am saying when I say that you are ignorant, that you may lack knowledge and information and facts on a particular subject or matter that matters in your life. For example, First uh, Thessalonians 4, uh, Paul wrote to us and said, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep. Uh, and he was referring to those who had died in Christ. And he wanted to inform us about where they were and what would happen to them and when we would see them again. And you know, it's amazing how that, that, that knowing where our loved ones are who are gone in the Lord brings great, great comfort to us and hope. As a matter of fact, I don't even know why sometimes that we dream some of the things that we do dream, but they come and they go. And I certainly don't uh, base any of my decisions of the days based upon the dreams of the night. Not like in the Bible days when dreams meant something, you know. Uh, but uh, even last night, last night I dreamed of a church setting. And uh, there was uh, Brother Ronnie Cooper, uh, one of my brethren from days gone by. As a matter of fact, the gym, the Cooper building, is named after him and his faithfulness here at East River. And uh, I saw Sister Ethel Higginbotham, one of our faithful widows, uh, who was responsible for introducing me to uh, Brother Lewis Clark. Uh, and uh, then there was Brother Jimmy O'Farrell. He was in the picture. And it was in a church setting. And I'm thinking, Lord, what, why am I having, uh, why am I dreaming? I said, I hope I'm not fixing to meet them real soon, you know. <laughs> but I, I will see them on the other side. Amen. But why do we do that? It's because there is, there is things that people, they have an impact on our lives. Loved ones. And church family members that impact us. And who knows why dreams come and go. But they do. And uh, But then, then in Romans chapter number 11. Uh, I spoke to you about where that Paul did not want us to be ignorant. About the nation of Israel. And the Jew. And how that God is not through with the nation of Israel. And how the Bible, knowing those facts. It puts the headlines uh, into perspective today about what our politicians need to be doing concerning the nation of Israel and the fact that they are not occupying that land. They are they own that land. And there's a big difference in that. Amen. And wars start over those differences. Amen. But today, this is going to be about you personally. If you're a born-again believer, this message will impact you and it's for every single individual, regardless of whether you're a male or a female, or regardless of your age. And if you're a believer, these, these passages have something to do with you personally. And if you'll listen today, if you'll take these truths home with you today, then it will, it will impact you in days to come and will help you in some of the days when you feel like that you don't matter. And so I want you to look carefully here with me in this passage because Paul spends three chapters on this subject. The Holy Spirit is so concerned about this subject, he takes three whole chapters to deal with it. I just want to take chapter 12 and bring out some highlights of this thought. In chapter 12, you'll notice in verse 1, he said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant you know that you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking 
by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now we're going to stop right there. We're going to examine this passage, and I promise you, I'm excited about this. I pray the Lord will help you. I prayed for some. I thought about some of you individually when I was studying this. If you could just get a hold of this, what a difference it would make in your life. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd use me today, Lord, to represent the truth carefully, skillfully. And God, that you would use me, I pray, to minister to your children and to give them hope and help and comfort today through your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So what his goal here is, is to remove their ignorance on the subject of spiritual gifts, but not just spiritual gifts, but the subject of the Holy Spirit himself and how he works in a local church and how that he works through each member of a local church. Now, in this subject, look in chapter 14 with me in verse number 38. No matter what subject a preacher deals with from the pulpit, there are some folks who wish not to be bothered by the facts. Did you hear me? You've already got some things made up in your mind and you don't want to be bothered with the facts. Based on your traditions, some emotions and feelings and strongholds that you've got in your mind. Verse 38 says, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Now he's already told you up front, I don't want you to be ignorant. But at verse number 38 he says, listen. If you're going to tell me, hey, don't bother me. Don't trouble me with the truth. Then he says, okay, if you want to remain ignorant, then I'll leave you alone. However, if there's anybody in this congregation that remains teachable, and I thank God that you are, as long as you remain teachable, then you remain changeable. And as long as you remain changeable... You remain usable by the hand of God, which also makes you profitable for the rest of us in the body of Christ. So, there are three particular words or thoughts that dominate this chapter. In chapter 12, one has to do with the word or the subject or the phrase concerning the Spirit of God or the Holy Ghost. He is mentioned 11 times in chapter number 12. And he is writing this to inform us about the working of the Spirit. The word body is mentioned 18 times. And this is to illustrate to us this truth about the Holy Spirit and the way that he works today. And then the word members is mentioned 14 times. And that is to inspire us to understand that we have a part in this. That this chapter that lays before us is for our information. It is for an illustration concerning the body. And for our inspiration. This should inspire you today when we talk about the fact that God has a place and a purpose for you in the ministry. You say, oh no, Brother Roger, you're the guy who's in the ministry. Well, you're right about that. So are you. You are in the ministry. And so you sometimes you let um, cultural terminologies separate you from biblical truth. Am I a minister of the gospel? Yes. Am I a pastor? Yes. But everybody that's saved is in the ministry. The ministry. And you matter. And you matter to me. You matter to God. And we need you. I need you. And you need me. We need each other. Amen. So let's, let's look at chapter 12 real quick here about concerning the Holy Spirit. You'll notice he says something rather odd in verse number 2. He said, after he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. He says, you know you, were, you Gentiles were carried away under these dumb idols, even as you were led. And then he goes into the subject about understanding the Holy Spirit. What does he mean by this statement? Well, I think it's this. 
I think our Gentile minds and ways of thinking, which is described in the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, that we're always trying to analyze things, figure things out, base it upon our past, our history, our family, our thoughts, our education. Our Gentile minds and ways, our past, must be overcome if we are going to understand the working of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church. That we are all ignorant. In other words, did you understand the subject of the church and the Holy Spirit and the way He works when you first got saved? You just thought you knew how a church was supposed to be. You just thought you understood how it was supposed to operate. You had some ideas because maybe that you went to church a few times or maybe you was even raised in church, but you really didn't comprehend what God was up to. So we have to overcome this. And then... The Holy Spirit has a plan and a purpose. And He's not asking you for your opinion, your ideas on how the church is supposed to operate. So when you come out and you see the latest book that comes out, 10 new ways to do this in the church or 5 new ways to do this in God's church, the Lord says there's nothing new under the sun. i got a plan. And I want you to stick to my plan. Now, there are new ways to market things. There are new ways to build a crowd. But that doesn't necessarily translate into a New Testament church and a local assembly. But you'll notice something about the Holy Spirit. He said, I give to you understand. And then he talks about the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost. But you notice what he says, how you can kind of gauge things. And he gives you a measuring rod here. He talks about the Holy Spirit here. Uh, about and his purpose. Now listen, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you agree that John the Baptist was a man sent from God? Did he have a purpose? Did he have a time period to to do his ministry, and then he was taken out? Is that true? The Bible says he was a man sent from God. Sent from God. The Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth, sent by the Heavenly Father, on time, to become our redemption, the propitiation for our sins. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when when Moses and Elijah were there talking with them, the Bible says they discussed the the cross. They discussed Calvary. And they discussed it as a moment to be accomplished. And Jesus on the cross said, it is what? Finished. And then the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead to confirm who He was. And then He was taken back to heaven. Now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He did what the Father sent Him to do in His time frame. Then, on the day of Pentecost, we are told Jesus said that I want you to wait there for the promise of the Father. And the Holy Spirit was sent, sent into the world like he'd never been sent before. Globally. The Old Testament, individually. Coming upon, leaving. Coming upon, empowering, leaving. The day of Pentecost, he came to convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. To bear witness. When a man would stand up and preach Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit would bear witness to it, to the heart of men, convincing them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sent to the world, yes, but not just to the world, but also to the church, to the individual. For that individual that responds to the message of the cross and becomes a child of God, the Bible says then, because we are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit into our hearts. Okay? And so when you look here in chapter number 12, here's here's sometimes when... um, You talk about the working of the Spirit, the purpose and the plan of the Holy Spirit, which is still at work. Concerning sinners and concerning saints, it has to do with Jesus. You'll notice what he says here, that though the Holy Spirit has been sent to indwell us, to illuminate us. But he makes it very clear here that uh, in the ministry, in the working of verse number 4, it says there will be diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of administrations, the same Lord. 
diversities of operations in verse 6, but it's the same God. What is it, though they are distinct and different, what is it that the underlying toe that makes them the same? Well, there are two things. And he mentions in verse number 3. What do they say about Jesus Christ? Whether it be the Samaritan purse, the Salvation Army, or whether it be a, a local church that's sending a, got a mission board, or whether you've got, uh, you've got all kinds of ministries out there. What, how do you gauge a ministry of whether or not it is of the Lord? What you do is you ask yourself, okay, find out through all of the, all of the stuff that they promote, look at the fine details and ask them, what do they say about the Lord Jesus Christ? What do they really say about Him? Because if you look at the Latter-day Saints or the Mormons, they promote Jesus, but it is another Jesus. And if you look at the details, it's another Jesus, and they're not saying what the Bible says about Jesus. Nor do the Jehovah's false witnesses. Nor does the Roman Catholic Church. And they all say similar things, but what he says, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, so... They're going to confess the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. First John 4 says, this is how you discern between the Spirit of God and a demonic spirit is what are they saying and confessing about Jesus? Do a little research. Ask them a few hard questions. Find out. But that's not the only thing. But you'll notice he says that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now we're talking about not just what they say about Jesus, but are they willing to submit themselves to His Lordship and His authority in their lives. Now that separates the goats from the sheep because there are many groups that say Jesus is Lord. Jesus even said, many would say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That's pretty serious, isn't it? I want to know is, do you confess him as the Lord? And when you confess him as the Lord, that means that you acknowledge that he is your final authority over your life. I don't have the right to my opinion when it comes to sin. I must submit myself to the Lord Jesus Christ and agree with Him against all others, if necessary. But you'll notice that the Holy Spirit, not only does He inform us about His ministry, is about convincing the world, but also of now bringing the church together, gifting each individual... And here's where he uses the illustration here of where that he enables us and places us into his body. The word body is used 18 times. And that's to illustrate to us a church. The church, there is one church, and boy, preachers fall out over this subject, and I don't know if you're aware of the division that occurs even among Baptist brethren about the subject of the visible church and the invisible church. and the universal church and the local church, that is a very, very divisive thought. As a matter of fact, usually men uh, usually will change the King James Bible in order to defend their position who are anti... Can I say they, they don't believe in a universal church or in the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. So you notice in chapter 12, verse number 13, they usually will take the King James Bible and they will change those words in his text in order to defend their position. That's why you need a final authority. Because if you don't have one, then we all can use our own measuring rod. Verse number 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. 
Have I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, I have. When I got born again, He baptized me into the body of Christ. Water baptism is a public display of a private and personal thing that God did in my heart. And the Bible says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. So in other words, we all now are placed into what he refers to as the church, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And there's only one body. One body of Christ. Manifested all over the world through local assemblies. Local assemblies. There are those who fall out on both sides of this in that some who have no respect for the local assembly. You cannot read your Bible and have disrespect the need for the local assembly. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, he lets us know that God has placed us into, and to illustrate that, he refers to 18 times the body. The body. The body of Christ dominates the New Testament teaching. The body refers to the fact that we are to be in unity and yet we are diverse. There are differences and diversions and yet we are singular in our purpose. The body is to obey one head and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is to care for itself, one another. And there are to be no schisms in the body. We are to be healthy. No schisms. We are not to be spastic. We're not to be limping. We're not to be sickly. We are to aid one another, strengthen one another, and we're to be a healthy body. I should not have one leg wanting to go that direction and another leg wanting to go that direction. That does not bode well for the body. It is to work together to grow for the purpose of unity and diversity and maturity and productivity and charity. For the glory of God in an ungodly world. The church ought to be able, the, the world ought to be able to look at the church and say, man, they sure do love God. I think it was one of the missionaries that I heard this week. He said that some of the folks in town, when somebody would come and visit them, in other words, if a visitor or stranger came into that town and they would approach somebody and say, hey, where are the, where is the local, where, where are the local Christians? And when they would use the word Christian, they would always select a particular group of people who met all the time and who practiced what they preached compared to all the churches that did nothing but just go through the ritual. They'll say, yeah, we know where they are. They gather and they live and they practice what they, what they, that's that group over there. They were different. And so it should be said about East River Baptist Church that it's not just about what we believe, but it's how we behave. But, but, but my primary thought this morning and my heart's desire now is about not only the illustration he gives us, but the inspiration for us. And it has to do with the word members. Look in chapter 12, verse 11. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? The Lord. Do you believe the Holy Spirit has the right to choose who and what you are in the body of Christ? Look in chapter 12, verse 11. He says this. Now, now pay close attention. He says in verse 11, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man, and I could say every woman, every boy, every girl that's born again, severally as he will. Look in chapter 12, verse 18. He says, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. Now your Gentile desire to be number one and to be the best and to be the most and to be out front and to be seen and to be applauded is going to have to die right here. That works out there, but it doesn't work in here. It is the Lord who chooses your gift. It is the Lord... Understand this. Do you think the Lord knows you? I think He knows you better than you know you. 
And did you know that when He saved you and forgave you, that He put something inside of you that would actually make you, if you would listen to Him, obey Him, submit yourself to Him, let Him use you, it would make you very, very happy. And very, very satisfied and content. If you would grab a hold of what He has made you to be and stop attempting to be something that you were never designed to be so that it breeds discontentment and dissatisfaction and disappointment on a regular basis in your Christian life. He says in verse 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased Him. If I submit myself to this truth, it will produce in me a contentment that no man, woman, or world can produce in me like the Holy Spirit can. That contentment, I'll no longer compare myself to you or to anyone else. I'll no longer compete against you for something in the assembly. Why not me? Well, You, you, you let him, well, why not me? What about this? What about that? And there'll be no criticism in my heart toward what God has gifted you to be able to do compared to what I am able to do. Boy, I tell you, it changes everything. You'll notice in verse number 21, it says, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need. When this, when this, you, you, are, you are ignorant of the fact, you are ignorant if you think that you do not need each other. Now, you look at each other and say, well, he irritates me. Well, that's possible. It's also possible that you are an irritation to someone else. God forbid. That's not the point. The point is, every part of my body needs every part of my body. And the Lord says, the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Because if you don't embrace this truth, you're going, to come, you're, going to, you're going to try to go to a church. And you're going to try to get engaged and involved. And then you're going to, you're going to treat some people in that assembly like they don't matter. And you're going to treat them like you have no need of them whatsoever in your life. And you're only going to pick one or two or three in the assembly that you gravitate to because you feel like they profit you and they benefit you. You are ignorant of the fact that everybody in the assembly at some point, somewhere, you will need them. And, and you may not even see what they're doing. I have not seen my liver work one time. Thank God it works without being applauded. Every once in a while we stand up and we say, God, I'm so thankful I can see, that I can hear, that I can walk. I'm going to be honest with you, after I got out of surgery last year, I thank God that some other parts started working. Amen? That finally woke up and started working. But he says, I have no need of you. Look in, look in uh, verse number 23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, we just don't think that they're that important. But God has gifted and graced you. Look at verse 27. The Bible says that you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And men in ministries. I pray that you'll receive what I'm fixing to tell you. We're going to look at some passages. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 10. I really want to hammer this truth down to you, into your heart. I have taught... 
in a lot of pastor schools in my life, and I thank God for that privilege and opportunity, and not that I think that I have that I'm anything special. That's just a gift and ability that God's given me and some experience. That's all that is. What I'm saying, though, is that one of the things that I have hammered to some of those men is to develop as a pastor in their heart the body philosophy in their local assembly. That it is not about them. It's about Christ. It's not about making that preacher successful. It's about making Christ known and about the body edifying itself. And that every man and woman in that assembly needs to feel that they are of equal value. That I'm needed. That I have something to give. That I have something to offer. That I am important. That I am useful. Now certainly some might be more useful than others. I could lose one hand and still go. Agreed? Now Sister Christy, you have one eye, you still go, right? God's given us two of a few things, and one we can do without. But there are some things we've only got one of, and you won't do well without it. Amen? Amen. And so I'm not saying that you don't, that some are not maybe in, in some sense of the whole body existing and, and doing well that might be a little bit more valuable in some of those areas, but all are valuable. You say the heart's the most valuable? Maybe. What about the brain? What about the brain? You cut the head off, what happens? The body cannot function. Cannot function. Now I want you to look in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 10, and I want every single one of you men and women to believe what the Bible says. I want you to mix faith with what you hear and understand that when God saved you, He knew you, He knew what you were, and He'll use you. He'll use the way that you grew up. He'll use the way you were made. He'll use the way where you came from. He'll use all your past. He'll use everything about you that makes you unique. You, you have your own DNA. You have your own, uh, your eyes are different than anybody else's. Your, your, your um, fingerprints are different than anybody else's. And so God has made you very unique. You did not determine how tall you would grow. You did not determine the color of your hair. Now you can change the color of your hair if you want to. I understand that. But there's so much about you. Where you were born. Who your parents were. What your, what your heritage is. Those things are beyond your control. But wherever you came from and however it came about, I'm just here to tell you that God sees you as a unique individual. And when God saved you, He gifted you with something. 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 Why do teenagers in America take their lives when they've got their whole life in front of them? Well, it's because many of them find no real purpose in their lives. And they try to be someone that God never intended for them to be. And they can't find their place. I'll tell you, God will give you a place and a purpose. Now look here, look in 1 Peter 4. Look with me please in verse number 10. He says, As every man hath received the gift, and that's you and me, even so minister the same one to another. Now that means you are a minister. And I need you. I need you, as the army says, to be all you can be. Because I need you. Don't hold out on me. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. You see, the problem is sometimes you don't want to minister to each other. You want to minister to somebody you don't know, or you want to go some to other church and minister and come back, but you don't want to minister to one another. But if you don't learn how to serve God here, you won't serve God very well anywhere else. And God wants you to minister to one another. Now you're going to need the love of God to do that. You're going to need charity to do that. That's in chapter 13. But the Bible says here in verse number number 10, So minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Oh, how about that? Now Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, excuse me, Romans chapter 12 describes the body. The body. 
And he warns you not to be high-minded. He warns you not to think too highly of yourself. And he thinks you, and he also lets you know that God has graced you for the place that he puts you in. I prayed for you, and I prayed for you this morning. I prayed for you this morning, and I prayed for you this morning. I prayed that you might understand that God has graced you for the place. He's gifted you. And there are just some things that you just don't fit in. It's okay. It's okay. There are just some places and things that sometimes people want you to do, and it's just not your thing. But there is a place. And if you keep serving, you'll find that place. And you'll blossom in it. And it'll make you happy. It'll satisfy you. Church will become fun again. Truth does not take all the fun out of fundamentalism. And it ain't about having fun. It's about being a blessing. But why in the world do you feel like if you serve God, you're going to wind up being miserable? Amen. Did not Jesus say if you'd wash each other's feet, if you'll do what I just told you to do, that you would be happy? You'd be happy. And so look carefully at this now. I think about Brother John Yaws. He's invited me into prison several times. Brother Lewis Clark has invited me into prison several times, and I enjoy each time that I go. And God has used me, I think, each time that I've gone in. But it's not my place. God's graced them. Those men gravitate to Him and love Him like He's their pastor. God uses this man to comfort and minister to men who are headed probably to hell. He's probably their last roadblock. And so he's trying, to, he's trying to plant seed on sometimes concrete. But he doesn't quit. And so what I'm saying is that there is, there is grace for the place that God has placed you into the body. And by the way, there's always a place and time for the body to do what it's supposed to do. I'm talking about each part of my body. Amen? You know, if I lay down tonight and I close my eyes, I don't want my eyelids to say, no, not right now. Not right now. Uh-uh. Get back. Get, go. I'm going back up. So I'm going to lay there trying to go to sleep like this. And I'm telling, go close. And they say, no. There's a place and time. And not but if I'm driving down the road. And they say, no, nah, we're going down today. Now, no, not yet. Not now. There is a place and a time for you if you can just wait and your head will tell you when it's time. If you'll yield to it. I need my eyelids to be satisfied in doing what they're doing when they're supposed to do it. Look what he says here in verse 10. Every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one another as a good steward. I'm responsible for the gift God's given me. I'm to stir it up, I'm to develop it, I'm to use it. Verse 11. Now some have speaking gifts. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If, you're going to, if God, you feel like God's called you to preach, and uh, you feel like God's gifted you to teach, then don't, don't get up and uh, act like you're reading out a Reader's Digest. You have an authority. You have the Word of God. And speak for Him, honor Him. He said, if any man minister, look at this, let him do it as of the what? The ability, which who giveth? God does. That God in all things may be glorified. This ain't about me and it ain't about you. It's about Jesus. That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Please, please receive what I have to say graciously right now. I've meditated upon this. This is said on purpose. You have to be very careful about men using you to build their ministries and manipulating you and intimidating you and forcing you and guilting you into trying to be something that you were never designed to be 
Because it makes them look successful. It makes them look better. These colleges and universities, these Christian colleges and universities, some of them, they pull some of the best out of our churches. And they want to produce little, little thems. That's why when a missionary comes through here, I don't care where he went to school as long as he just be himself. But if you're going to try to be what they are, I'm not interested. I want you to be you. You understand what I'm saying there? I hope you do. Because I'm, I am not opposed to school. I'm, I'm trying to get you to see the danger of these things. Okay, so There's much good, but there's dangers involved in this. Kids go there sometimes and they measure themselves, which is not wise, and compare themselves among themselves and say, man, I'm, I'm, I can't do anything. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm a nobody. And they compare themselves. And men do. Men are ego-driven. And their egos are fragile. Even though we walk around like we're Tarzan, we're, our ego is fragile. That's why God gives us good, a good woman who encourages us and and praises us and is our cheerleader because we need it all the time. That's why it's so hard for a man to have a woman that criticizes him all the time. We're pitiful. We need help from the Lord. We need help. But now listen. Men in certain ministries can become merchants of discontentment. And for you, you're like marks on their holster. This college produces this many missionaries. This college produces this many preachers. But it actually it is the local church that produces those things. Yeah. Acts 13, it was the Holy Ghost that uh, initiated the calling of those men out into the ministry and the mission field. If you are not a preacher when you go into school, you won't be one when you come out. Amen. Not and be happy about it. Not and be productive about it. Or in missions, and we have a lot of folks now that get, they get a lot of, there's a lot of preachers out there, and I'm just telling you straight up, I'm just telling you, who feel pressure because they go to these meetings and they hear about a preacher get up and say, yeah, man, we got 30 missionaries out of our church and he's got nobody out of his church, and before you long, he is trying to intimidate and manipulate somebody to go to the mission field. You say, it don't happen. It does happen. You say, I don't believe it. Well, why don't you read 2 Corinthians chapter number 11? When he says that you suffer fools gladly. In that you allow men to bring you into bondage. And to slap you on the face. In other words to intimidate you and manipulate you into being something that you were never designed by the hand of God to be. I am completely confident that the Holy Ghost knows who you are, where you are, and what you need to be. And if you yield yourself to Him, I promise you, you'll wind up being content and happy and productive. Colleges and churches, pressure is placed upon them, guilt is used, constant feelings of failure if they don't measure up. But if I allow divine truth to enter into my soul and my mind... And change the way I think. It'll transform me. I'll make myself available for God to use me in my local assembly. And I will be able to glorify God. I'll be able to edify my brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, there's great satisfaction knowing God used you to be a blessing. But it will bring great satisfaction to you. All have at least one gift. There is no man that has them all. Did you know that every church has gifts, but no church has them all? There's no church that has all the gifts. You realize in Acts 13, that church at Antioch was a pretty large church, but in the church in Jerusalem, they sent some men down that were gifted in particular areas down to that assembly and met with them for 18 months to teach them some things and edify them and help them so that they might go on as a local church. Do you realize that God's gifted men that move around from church to church, 
to church to church, and they are gifted to be able to exhort us and to edify us and to teach us some things. And then there's the shepherd who stays and who's with you every day and every week who looks after you. There's a difference. And God uses singers to sing the Word of God. You know, I may want to sing. I may, I may want to start my own group of singing. But that doesn't mean anybody's going to want me. Your ambition does not equate your ability. You can be driven by ambition. Do you listen? Your pride, your, your, your pride can drive you. Your ambition can drive you to discontentment. Let me use a couple of illustrations and I'll be done. I think about John Mark. You know who John Mark is? Okay, John Mark in the, in the Word of God is the guy who wrote the book of Mark. But before he wrote the book of Mark, there was a time in Acts 13 when, when, when Paul and Silas were sent uh, to, um, Paul and Barnabas were called to go out on the mission field. And they went. They took John Mark with them. But later on in that trip, John Mark said, uh, mm, I'm going back. And that made Paul mad. It disappointed him. didn't seem to upset Barnabas as much as it did because Barnabas' gift was to console and comfort and build up. And you need a Barnabas. But you also need a Paul. You know what Paul is? He's a guy that you know he's disappointed. The guy that gets in your face and says, you can do better. Who's demanding. And then you got that guy though that can come along and say, yeah, you messed up, but hey, you can get back up on your feet and God can still use you. So it's John Mark. He's, I believe he's sincere. He wants to be a blessing. Who, wants to, who doesn't want to hang around with Paul and Barnabas? So man, he's on the trip and then he says, no, this, 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 this ain't going to work for me. Do you know that it's better for you to realize that you're out of place and accept the criticism and go back to where you're supposed to be? It is for you to keep pressing on. Now, that's critical right there. Because you've got to have some discernment. Okay, am I, am I just ambitious and determined to pursue something that God's never gifted me to be and do? Or do I need to back away? I have great respect for men who will humble themselves and back away and say, you know what? God can still use me. But he may not want to use me right there in that particular area. Well, John Mark went back to the house, but he didn't quit church. He went back. Barnabas came. And Paul later on said, let's go, let's go check on those churches. And Barnabas said, well, let's take John Mark with us. And he said, uh-uh, he ain't going. And Barnabas said, yes, he is. Paul said, no, he ain't. They fell apart over that. He said, which one was right? I think both of them were right. And both of them were wrong. But nonetheless, Barnabas encouraged John Mark. John Mark eventually became profitable. Why? Because he found his place. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. And later on, even Paul looked back and said, You know what? That young man is profitable to me. And when you get in your place and you find your place and you're satisfied with your place, and I don't mean being passive, I'm talking about being what God's called you to be. You will be content in that place. And not being comparing yourself one to another. I'm going to use a worldly illustration if I may to help you with this. And I may be off target with this. I don't think I am. I've meditated on it. That doesn't make me right. But I thought, I, I, I like sports. And so sometimes I see good illustrations and analogies in sports people. I have great respect for this athlete. His name is Tim Tebow. I think that he is not ashamed of Jesus Christ. And I am very thankful for that. I watched his college career at Florida when he was a quarterback and he won the Heisman Trophy. And uh, great determination, great ability as a college quarterback. And um, he won the Heisman Trophy and was drafted into the NFL Lower, lower in the rounds, and some of the, just because of what you can do in college does not always translate into professional football. 
And so what many of these teams did not want him as a quarterback. They wanted him as a running back or they wanted him as a tight end because he was such a great athlete and had great character and was a good leader. They wanted him on, on their team. And But I'm personally of this opinion, and he may watch this video at some point, but I say, hey, did you know he was talking about you the other day? This knot-headed preacher over in Texas said this about you. And he might see this, and I mean no criticism of him. This is just my opinion of this. That's all. I have great respect for him, just like I have for some other men in the ministry. I think that his personal ambition and his pride got in the way of longevity in the NFL. Because I think that he had, had he been willing to humble himself and to be what, what would have been best for the team as a running back or a tight end. But instead he bowed up and said, no, if I can't be a quarterback, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to be on your team. Basically, I don't want to be a part of this if I can't be the quarterback. I am a quarterback. And while he could succeed a little bit at it, he was not successful at it long term. And I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see is, is that I think that sometimes you can, you can cut yourself short because you refuse to accept your limitations. And you try to be something that you are not. And you stay frustrated and disappointed and discontented. Now, years later, when he was out of the NFL, another coach asked him to come back as a tight end. But he had years on him then, and he wasn't able to do what he could have done when he first came out. Now, my point being here is, is that if God's gifted you, other people will recognize it. And wherever it is that God's gifted you, it will be profitable for the ministry. It will be profitable for the body. If you're running against the wall and backing up and hitting the wall and backing up and hitting the wall and backing up, you need to analyze yourself and carefully and humbly. Now listen, all of us can do some things. Meaning, I don't have to be gifted to take the trash out. I don't have to be gifted to set up tables. I think I do have to have some grace if I had to work in a nursery. God's blessed you and He's graced you to work with people. And you see the potential in people and you elevate them. I need you to rest content and some of the things that God's given you, and, and stir it up, and, and find some joy in that. Because if you read too many books, and you listen to too many sermons, you'll always be comparing yourself to somebody else, and wish I was doing something else, or being something else that God never called me, or designed me to be. But if He has, if He has, and I'm wrong, in days to come, He'll put you where you need to be. But until then, serve Him with all your heart. And, and when, you, when you drive up, get out of that truck with a smile. And thank God for the privilege of serving Him. Amen. Your pastor loves you, and I thank God for you. You're a blessing. You're a prophet. And when you get out of that truck, you have meditated, and you have studied, and you have prayed. And God's gifted you. And graced you. And you've allowed God to use you to minister to the rest of us. Because you humbled yourself years ago. And you accepted what God... And, and, and this, I think this man probably, possibly at some point, could pastor a church. I think he's gifted for it. As far as the ability to teach. But you've got to have more than that to pastor. You've got to be graced in some other areas. Amen? But thank you for staying in your place. Amen. Brother Tucker, the Bible says, 
The Bible says, the man that has the gift of exhortation, wait on it. You are an exhorter. I see people shaking their heads like this right here. When you preach, you exhort us. You inspire us. You have to wait for those opportunities to exhort others. And the rest of us in here, I'm talking about now, listen. The only way I know to help you with this right here is, is get, be sure you're saved. Assure yourself the Spirit of God lives in you. Get busy. In Acts 13, the Bible says, as they ministered to the Lord. How do you minister to the Lord? Just the same way that Paul persecuted the church. He pers- when he was persecuting the Lord, he was persecuting the local church. And when you minister to the Lord, you're ministering to the local church. What can I do, Brother Mike, to be a blessing? How can I serve? That's how I can minister to the Lord. And as you minister to the Lord, there are things that will come to the surface and people say, hey, I know Brother so-and-so. He can help you right there. I know Sister so-and-so. She can help you right there. And so your gift will come to the surface. But you may work behind the scene. And we won't even know about it till Jesus comes. But you'll get your stuff at that time. Amen? Amen. Honestly, I, I, don't, uh, I don't sit around thinking about certain inside parts of my body and say, boy, I sure thank God for you. <laughs> Unless it ain't there. That's right. Or it's hurting. Or it's infected. We don't want to wait till you're hurting or that we lose you, that we realize we lost something valuable. When I was 13, they told me, and I was, I was hurting real, really, really, really bad, hurting really bad physically in my side. And they said, yep, you got appendicitis. They said, we're going to take it out. And they did. They did. And they say, you don't need it. But I just believe what the Bible says. I think I need everything God gave me. And so, but I don't sit around saying, nah, I sure do miss you. <laughs> I just press on. Yeah. There are people in my heart, in my life, though, that I feel like when they left or they died or they moved on, I felt like I lost something. And that I'm not, I, that, that I've lost some benefits that they were giving me and I didn't appreciate them the way I should have. Amen. And you need to love each other, pray for each other. And when God gives you an opportunity to minister and serve, you jump on it like a, like a bird on a June bug. You get after it. God has graced you for a particular place. God has graced you. You see, I'm not that important. You stop saying that. You see, my church don't need me. You stop saying that. We may not need you right here at this moment. It doesn't mean we won't need you this week or next week or next month. Let's stand together, please. I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact that this is the way God works. If you've been impacted and influenced by other groups that's taking you outside of the local church and you're just as comfortable sitting home as you are in a local assembly, you've gotten out of the will of God and you have messed your mind up. I don't care how smart you are and how much you know about the Bible, if you're not profitable to the body, if you're not being profitable to a local body, you're not in God's will. Get yourself saved. I mean, by talking about trusting Christ. Submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. Let Him use you where He wants to use you. And then help others when you get the opportunity. Let's bow our heads, please. Lord, I pray that these saints of God would go home today and receive this message with meekness and allow it to become engrafted into their hearts and minds. And I pray, Lord, that as they sit home and they think about themselves and they get discouraged and they feel like, Lord, they're just not being used of you. Oh, Lord, I pray they would humble themselves and bow their knee and say, 
Lord, I submit myself to your Lordship. You know when I need and where I need to be. Lord, help me, I pray, to be patient, to wait upon you, and to look for the opportunities that you've placed before me. And God, may they find that contentment. For we need them, and overall, we need you. And may East River Baptist Church function as a body that you may be glorified. In Christ's name, amen.